researchers, you know those people, they have calculated that the every day you and I make 35,000 decisions. Decision fatigue. 35,000. So just calculating that out for you in a moment, you know, if you sleep seven hours and maybe take a break in that sleeping, although that's questionable, but if you take that out, that's roughly 2,000 decisions every hour. And if you break that down, that's like 34 decisions a minute. Is that right? Two decisions every second. You calculating this with me? Well, right now you have the opportunity to just decide, do I continue calculating 35,000 decisions in my life today, or do you continue listening to me? That's your choice. You get to decide. But to help you get past the calculating, just add up first all the automatic decisions that you make in life. And I have no idea how they calculated 35,000, because I, I don't, is breathing an automatic decision that you make that counts? Because that seems like that would immediately be more than 35,000. How many times do you breathe every day? Decision? Oh, decision to let it go. Oh, good. You get it. Decisions that are automatic functions. And it's breathing is one thing. But you think about all the other decisions that are automatic because they are patterns and habits and rituals and spiritual practices in your life. And you just do these things automatically. You don't even think about it. You just do these things. Or how much of our culture, our environment, our laws just create a way for us to live that you don't even think about. Driving is a good example. You don't think about driving on which side of the road. You just drive on the correct side, the right side, and go. And you don't think about that. That's not a decision you make. So those are the subconscious decisions that seem to add up to maybe 35,000. But maybe there's one or two decisions every day that you have to actually think about. What are those decisions that you are facing right now? We're starting this, this series, Decision Making 101. And Susan and I have been reading this interesting book, The Next Right Thing. And my felt need as we come to this series is to get back to automatic decisions, to get back to the rhythms and routines and patterns that make life go and function. And so I can free up the rest of my mind to do all the other decision-making and to make my decisions with God and do the next right thing. Those two things. Get back to automatic and then make good decisions. Okay, three things for today. Jesus' hot contact follow-up, Jesus' decision-making tree, everybody's going to want to know that, and then your decisions. Do a open mic sharing time. Well, let's start with Jesus. So Jesus, hot contact follow-up. Jesus, if you know the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, tell the story of Jesus' life, and mostly the last three years of Jesus' life. The first 30 years, Jesus lived a very patterned, routine, disciplined life because he was a Jewish man living in Israel. So the system, the religious system, set a lot of things. He just lived into those things. But then, the last three years, things go crazy. Because in the last three years, Jesus seems to be going all over the place, making very odd decisions, doing lots of different things. Going to the other side of the lake to heal somebody, coming back across the lake to cast out a demon, 
you know, going over here and raising somebody from the dead. I mean, Jesus is moving all over, making all kinds of decisions. And many of those decisions, we think, what? What are you doing, Jesus? Why? Why don't you just stay with the 5,000 people you just fed and, like, take them across the finish line to being converts, to being your people, people who will just go with you wherever you want? Why, didn't, why did you leave the crowd? Why didn't Jesus take all those hot, hot contacts and make them his followers? Or if you take a little survey of some other miracles, you know, if you're going to experience a miracle from Jesus, what do you want next? Maybe for Jesus to give you a quick lecture on being his disciple, coming alongside him, living the rest of your life according to his plan. That's what you would expect, perhaps, in our world. But what does Jesus do instead? So Jesus heals a leper, somebody who has a skin disease. And what does he say next? Go see the priest. See you later. Or Jesus raises this powerful person, Jairus, his daughter, from the dead. Raises her back up from the dead. And what does Jesus say next to them? Give her something to eat. Where, where was the lecture on now you've been raised to life, God has a purpose for you, now make the most of it? No lecture, just give her some lunch. Or how about Lazarus? Jesus' good friend Lazarus raised from the dead. He comes out of the tomb. What does Jesus say to him? Or to the crowd? Just think about the crowd. What do they want Jesus to say? Come and follow me, and here's what you need to do. It'll be mine, and we're going to go do this, and we have this vision to capture this hill. Let's go. No, what does Jesus say? Somebody get him out of the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus did not take those moments and make the most of it. Instead, Jesus simply gave the next clear thing to do. The next thing. And the next right thing for a skin disease person was to go see the priest. And the priest declared you clean. Now you can re-enter society. That was the next right thing. And for the girl raised from the dead, what's the next right thing? Give her something to eat. She's hungry. Just that's very normal. Go do that. Lazarus, just let him go. <laughs> let him be free and live again. Jesus gave all these next right things which were very simple, very normal, very back to life. Jesus did not give the next great thing to do, or the next impressive thing for them to do, simply the next right thing. Second, Jesus' decision-making tree, you know what these trees are when you know you decide this or this, and then you choose this, and then you get a couple options here. So here's Jesus' decision-making tree from John chapter 5, verse 19 says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. If he can do only what he, he can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. So three things in Jesus' tree. We'll unpack these for a moment. The son can do nothing by himself can only do what he sees the father doing, and the father loves the son. So beginning with that, Jesus can do nothing by himself, right away you read that and you may think, that's ridiculous. 
Jesus, you can do whatever you want. You're God. As a human, Jesus, you're, you have volition. You can take action. You can do things. It's your choice, Jesus, as a human. And then as God, you created the whole universe by your words speaking out. You still have that power. Jesus, you can do whatever you want. You could just go s- create another like, world into existence. But that's what Jesus is saying. Nope. I can do nothing by myself. And it's not a statement of what Jesus can or can't do in his power. But rather, it's a statement about Jesus' self-sufficiency. Jesus was not acting on his own, alone, for himself, for his own benefit, for his own purposes. Jesus is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that group has a plan and a purpose and a mission. And Jesus is a part of that. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go and do something of my own because I'm part of the team, and we have something that we are trying to accomplish. So Jesus says, no, I'm, I can't do anything by myself because I am part of the whole. We saw this in Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And he's tempted in the wilderness to change the stones to bread for his own satisfaction or to leap from the tower down and gain the applause of all the people, or gain the power of the whole world for himself. What does he say? No, thank you. I'm not acting for me. I have a bigger plan and a bigger purpose that I'm working on. Me and the Trinity have a plan, and we are going to continue, even if it requires suffering. Second, Jesus says, this decision-making tree, that he can only do what he sees the Father doing. And this right here is submission. This is obedience. This is being on the same team and on the same um, plan with the Trinity. Sure, Jesus had power of his own to go and do whatever he wanted, but he wanted to stay with the Trinity. So sometimes I wonder about Jesus, how he did this as a human. He's living on this earth. How did he hear and know what the Father wanted him to do at all times? And some of it might echo back to those first 30 years of his life, being trained in the scriptures and in the rituals and the disciplines that he could know what God wanted from learning. But also, I think there was a sensitivity that Jesus was holding himself open to, God, what do you want me to do? And being led and nudged and guided in those listening times. So, in this chapter 5 of John, just before this, um, what Jesus is responding to was he healed a man at the pool of Bethsaida. So, there's a whole bunch of people waiting around this pool, and if the water gets stirred, there's the idea that the first person that gets in will be healed. So there's a whole bunch of people waiting to be healed at the pool. And Jesus walks into this group of people, and there's a nudge, apparently, for this one particular man. He didn't come in and heal all the people there. There's other stories, other times when, yeah, Jesus did a whole bunch of people healing him over and over, just different lined up. But here, he just found one man, nudged, guided, led to that one person. And somehow Jesus was listening and responding to God in those moments. 
And then if the crowd gets crazy and wants to make Jesus king by force and go a different way, and he knows it's going a different way than the plan, he removes himself, goes on a mountainside alone to pray, to once again listen to God. Third part of his tree is, for the Father loves the Son. And here at church, that seems very cliche and We say it all the time, but God loves us. God loves the Son. And Jesus was safe and secure. He was taken care of, provided for. He was together with them, so he didn't need to worry about himself. He was free to make decisions following because he knew that the plan was being taken care of and that he was on the right path. How about your decisions? How can we apply any of this that Jesus experienced as human and as God into our own decision-making right now? Jesus began with, I can do nothing by myself. And it seems like that is an excellent starting place for us as well. And I think about the many decisions that people are facing right now. And to begin with the reminder, I can't do anything by myself is an excellent starting point. Because Jesus, yes, he had power, but he said, no, I'm not going to just use it for me. I'm part of something bigger. And the same is true for us. I can't do anything by myself. Sure, you can go make decisions for yourself. But instead, you're saying, no, I belong to God, and I'm going to obey and follow him in these ways. I belong to a community of people, and those people have bound me to live in certain ways. I've made promises and commitments, and now I am going to follow through with them. That's what's binding me. I can't act for myself because I'm part of something bigger. Second, I can only do what I see the Father doing and showing me. And again, Jesus, we wonder how that worked for him to commune with the Father and to know. But for us, we have a similar way to access what God is showing us to do. First is God's revelation through history in the scriptures. Same as Jesus, he was reading the scriptures, taking in the information God has revealed to us about himself and his ways. But also, we have a second thing, the Holy Spirit to dwell within us to be that nudge, that leading, and that guiding. Now, the Bible, the scriptures, you may have heard this great example of just open the Bible, point to any page in any verse, read it, and God will answer your questions. It's not how the scriptures work. The scriptures are stories. Most of them are just telling the stories of how people have tried and failed in living life, trying to make decisions with God, sometimes without God. I mean, sometimes there's lists of Ten Commandments or the law in the Old Testament, these things that guide us in God's ways, but mostly we are reading the Scriptures and taking in the Scriptures as wisdom and as guidance through how they in the past dealt with those things and now how I can deal with those also in my life. And of course, we have the second thing, which is the Holy Spirit. For God to nudge us, to move us within, to bring up a scripture to mind to remind us when we need it. 
to point us in a direction. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't overwhelming us and taking over and we're just controlled by the Holy Spirit. No, we still have our own choice to follow and to listen. And finally, God loves me. Dallas Willard wrote something, and it really caught me off guard. Dallas Willard wrote this. Never believe anything bad about God. Never believe anything bad about God. What I think caught me in that is if you ask me about decision-making, like, oh, Tim, what do you believe about God? And I'll tell you lots of nice things. Oh, God is good and loving and strong. You know, God is transcendent. God is eminent. God is like all these great things. And I can well up with emotion telling you those things. But when I'm making a hard decision, facing something impossible, what do I believe about God then? It's like the rubber meets the road moment of what do I really believe about God? You know, I just shift, oh, God, you're now out. I'm putting you on a shelf over here. Now I'm moving in pragmatism, practicality. You know, right is what's right for me to get my best now. Or am I thinking, oh, God is testing me. You know, this is a test, and he's trying to trick me up and get me to do something. Or do you think about God in a hard decision like, God is punishing me. And this is, this is punishment. You know, in that decision-making moment, what are the thoughts and beliefs about God then? Because that is the moment we need to go back to the truths of Scripture and pull them back and stuff them into our minds and into our hearts to remind ourselves, God loves me. God is for me. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. And this decision and this thing in life and this tragedy, yes, it's true and real and here. And God loves me and will bring me through this and will bring me and my community through this. When we look to Jesus, we see that he confidently, fully knew that God loved him. And since he did not question that, he could move forward with freedom in his other decisions. It was that security that guided him in what he chose. And this morning, we can't like root out all of our misguided beliefs about God or our thoughts about God that are misleading when we're in a decision. But we can begin to see our decisions and to see where we are thinking about God in that moment. And to maybe take those thoughts out and put back in the good thoughts about who God is, what God wants, and where God is going. And also, we can also pay attention to the community of people that are around us. That I'm a part of something bigger and more. And I am living this, not only me, for myself, but with others and for God. So if you go back to those 35,000 decisions that you're making today, what does Jesus have to say for you for the next right thing today? How do you pay attention in that difficult decision to what you're believing about God and to turn your attention to God and say, God, I can do nothing on my own, but I'm going to look to you for guidance and direction.
and I'm going to do all my decision-making knowing that you love me. As we are all putting our lives back together in the habits and patterns and routines, it's so interesting where we are putting ourselves, the choices and decisions we make that are right now rebuilding 2021, but what are they going to impact in 2022, 2025, even beyond? The places where we put ourselves so that good decisions can be made, so we can live fully. I encourage you, as you think about these things and to make your next decision to come to the communion table, to bring yourself to God and say, God, I am here. Show me the way you want me to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to hear from you. God, remove the things that get in the way so that we can hear from you and know what you are doing and join you there. And God, help us to forgive ourselves, to forgive others, and to move on freely to make the next right choice today with you. Amen.